This episode of The Stack is brought to you by the expression on her face just before you press the airlock release button. Hello Martians. This week we do something a little different with The Stack, a change of format. It was my intention to start a newsletter but I was front-run by both Talon and the Urbit Foundation with year-end news. They both continue in what is an affront to God and man not to consult me before making business and marketing decisions, but I can do something they cannot do, which is pour the pleasure of voice into the porches of your ears. Also, the newsletter probably will nevertheless happen in the new year. So let us start with Urbit News and then wind up with our interview of Galen Wolf Pauly, CEO of Talon, but perhaps best known for his bespoke wooden furniture line and his tofu maximalism. And now, the news. Article 1. DC Spark keeps doing the beautiful and the good. DC Spark's Urbit Visor extension has received a visual overhaul. If you don't know what Visor is, hold your manhood cheap, etc. The visor extension is analogous to MetaMask, but using your Urbit for login and permissions on legacy websites. A bridge to the old world, so to speak. Find it in the Chrome store. For a finer explainer, see DC Spark CSO Robert Kornacki's developer call. Rob also recently did an explainer video, which will serve as an Urbit guide for the perplexed VCs and your grandmother. Naturally, we also did a podcast with Rob. Article 2. L2 just around the corner. Though how wide a corner it is, only Zod can say. But a star has been born on L2, according to the man. Anyone who has previously burned F spawning planets will be getting a refund from Vitalik's dad. Article 3. Fine art. My favorite new group is Dacus Tiprail's Art. I have no idea if I pronounced that properly. I look forward to his daily new editions, an eclectic mix which nevertheless finds harmony in Dacus Tipperell's keen aesthetic sense. Do go to the website to check out some of the examples we posted there. Article 4. Star.Market hits the century mark. As of recording, 109 stars have been wrapped on Star.Market. Thus far, at least two stars have been redeemed from the contract, and another milestone. The first time someone trading Worcester was front-run by a bot. We made it, fam. Article 5. Justin Murphy is the devil. He isn't, in fact. He's a gentleman. But he's also carving out something of an urban niche with a podcast of 10 interviews from Assembly 2021. If you're listening to this and you're Justin Murphy, remember that in the end there can be only one. We're coming for you, Murphy. If you're listening to this and you're not Justin Murphy... Give him a listen and toss him some crypto so he can recoup production costs on the hotel studio he set up. Check out Murphy's Other Life podcast. And, of course, we also did do a podcast with mortal enemy and serial puppy abuser Justin Murphy. You can find a link to that on the website. Article 6. Our podcast slouches toward professionalism. 
Thanks to Finham for recording some sultry station IDs for us and for a bit of community support, allowing us to buy upgraded equipment. We are slowly iterating toward a podcast and other media that might be mistaken for professional work. Listen to Finham talk about banking on Urbit if you haven't already. And if you want to fulfill the ancient dreams of our forefathers to have Urbit media every day of the week, consider tossing cryptocurrency at my e-grifting operation so I can stop wage-cucking and do this full-time. Links are all over the website. And now, on to Galen. I, I just saw yesterday on Twitter that you guys have actually booted a star to L2, is that correct? That's a good like first line of, of discussion. Um, so L2 has been, is basically being sort of like quietly, but in a live way being tested. Uh, I actually think a bunch of planets have been, have been booted in that fashion. So we moved a star over and we're going to start um, issuing some planets to ourselves. And I mean, a lot of the work is like around the, as you might imagine, like it's like making the workflow for, for, um, you know, booting, booting ships in this way and, and making sure that they uh, come online correctly and that the whole UI there makes sense. Um, so that's the stuff that we're sort of like testing now and making sure is actually good. Was um, obviously super high Ethereum gas prices, um, you know, kind of made this maybe more of a priority, but what, was this always a plan and then this just got it moved along or kind of can you walk us through that thinking process it's basically as you described so you know in 2013 2013 to 2017 really like our address space registry is basically a text file so even in our early crowd sales like we're just keeping track of like who we owe what and the first problem we want to solve is like, well, we really should make that ownership real. Of course, if you want to decentralize ownership of something, you're down the rabbit hole of inventing a blockchain and Ethereum was starting to be a real thing. And we felt like, all right, well, we would like Urbit to be self-hosting. Urbit is designed to be self-hosting, but a way that we can you know, initialize this ownership um, without the risk of that ledger being centralized is to, to make it an Ethereum registry. So that decision in and of itself is like not a very, it's often been argued about as if it was more sort of like motivated and less practical, like it's a super practical decision, right? Like just let people actually own these things and move them around and, and, and make sure that that's as decentralized as possible or, or the ledger itself is as decentralized as possible. The And then, yeah, the decision to do L2 is, um, I guess, like similarly boring, right? It's just like, Gas fees are really high. That's not going to change. We did a lot of diligence on other possible ways of, of solving that problem, meaning like we looked at every possible roll-up, every possible, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to call them, uh, at, you know, Cosmos, Polkadot, whatever. Um, and it just didn't seem like anything was quite there in terms of being exactly what we wanted and being mature enough. And I think, yeah, we had in the back of our mind the sense that we've always had, which is that, well, this would be really nice if this stuff was self-hosted. And so it felt like, all right, look, you know, we can do, we can like make a step in that direction by, by, by starting to host parts of the ledger ourselves. Um, and I think the design is good, but I think if Urbit was going to be moving to being completely self-hosted, uh, that would be, that's like going to, that's going to require 
other technical work, I think. We're not like totally there yet, but this is a good step in that direction. Are you going to be able to, you're actually going to be able to go from where you are to a fully hosted, self-hosted PKA, or is it going to have to be like completely new work at some point in the future or mostly new work? Well, somehow it has to be continuous, right? You would never like reset the ledger, of course. Um, what do we need to be a fully self-hosted PKI? That's like a good question. I think that it's, I doubt that it's everything that's involved in naive rollups, which still um, don't have kind of like a hard dependency on Ethereum, but they do, they do use Ethereum to some extent. Um, it's, I don't actually know. Ask Philip that question. I bet Philip can tell you. Um, Philip okay. and I have kicked this one around, um, and and my sense is that it's like you could, you know, you can kind of keep going down this path, but you're still going to have kind of upgrade steps, at, you know, the further you go. If that makes sense. But the network is probably decentralized enough that there are, there are ways that you could do it. I mean, it's not as like the whether it's at the galaxy level or stars. There's there's not such a concentration as there was. 10 years ago or whenever you're oh, describing yeah. kind of the initial conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like there's a good, I mean, I don't know how many nodes are online, but there's a good number of nodes online. Uh, are they geographically distributed enough? Are they um, hosted in, you know, like resilient data centers and so on? I don't know. Um, and, you know, we've always avoided like creating kind of fake and annoying incentive mechanisms to like have people stay online, um, which obviously like is, is not problematic in like a pure like blockchain like system, but for Urbit, given what Urbit is useful for, always felt like a little bit like kind of ancillary to what Urbit is for, right? So you could say, oh, we'll pay you some coin to keep your Urbit online. And then you also have to reflect the ledger or something. I'm just like, that's not relevant to what we do. I don't think we need to do that. Um, so ideally, you know, like the primary driver of like why Urbit matters at all is that it's useful. And so as Urbit gain, you know, becomes useful, more useful, and therefore more people come online, it could make sense to sort of self-host more and more of it. But the criteria for something that is actually, you know, um, reasonably decentralized, uh, I, I'm not sure if we've like fully passed, like Urbit is pretty decentralized. It's not so decentralized that I would use it to like secure assets, if, if that makes sense. Mm. Well, we're doing our part. We've got, Thank you. <laughs> we've, we've got one in a data center in, in Singapore for you. Nice. Yeah, that's great. We need more of that. The um, and one in my closet here. But the, um, Andy's closet is the most secure. He uh, <laughs> hasn't hasn't come out of it yet himself. I I wouldn't want to write the um. So I think that if you look back, I mean, 2013 is long to go. You know, we've been involved for about a, a year and a half plus. Um, and there's been so much growth and change. If you go back, you know, light years ago or whatever to 2013, you know, what, 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 how close is the vision then to what's going on now? What is developed very differently than what you expected? That's such a good question. Um, huh. You know, the important thing to understand about, working on this project at the beginning is both kind of how insane that was to like as a thing to decide to do and also how perfectly sort of coherent or cogent it was to the people who wanted to work on it. 
So like this wasn't something that anyone really understood the rationale for or the possibility of it becoming a reality. Uh, although we were obviously able to convince some people to support our work. Um, and that team was really, really small. So very much like the original sort of thesis. I mean, the, the, the original rationale for why you would want something like Urbit being, well, you want everybody to have a computer that lives on the network that they control completely. That's certainly still the same. And then the kind of original, the tactic, which is like, if you're going to build a new platform to satisfy that desire, you need to build a great user experience in order for that platform to kind of to like pull that platform into existence. That's also still very much true. Um, but <laughs> the, the way to start on a project that is so sort of overwhelmingly big in size um, is not something that I is like is a different methodology than the one that we have today, right? Where now I think we have a pretty good idea of like what landscape is as a product and where it can go. And we have a pretty good idea of like what the surface area of problems are within Urbit as a platform and how that can mature. And so I think our way of working has sort of just like stabilized a lot and gotten a lot better and a lot more efficient. Um, and we've gotten better at it at like folding other people into that process. Um, you know, at the beginning, it's like a walk through the desert on acid or whatever. <laughs> it's a different thing. Uh, it's not for everybody. For, is, is going full remote now, is it still a good idea? Uh, oh, are yeah. you having any any pain points from that? No, it's awesome. It's so great. I was and I'm I was like completely I'll fully admit that I was like totally wrong about it. Uh, yeah, I am a designer by training. I like putting big pieces of paper on the wall. I like writing on paper. Uh, I like talking to people in person. Um, it's good to work together in person. You learn a lot. It's very high bandwidth. Um, but actually it's also exhausting and it can be distracting. Um, I think I prioritize it so much that, yeah, I encourage a lot of people to be in the office and we brought people to San Francisco and, and we had a, you know, I think at the time it was like 18 people for a while. We were like 18 in SF and two or three remote or four or five remote, something like that. That's really hard too. I think it would have been easier if we were all in SF. Um, like it's hard to have some people who are, and, and those people who are remote are very important to the team. Um, the, Transition, which was just, you know, COVID related, um, was not, you know, uh, planned, obviously, like it just kind of happened. And so I didn't really think too much about it until we were pretty far into it, and which point I realized that not only were other people more productive, but I was more productive. Um, because I think all of us like Tlan is a group of people, all of whom are very motivated to make things and making things does require long periods of focused work. And it's actually a lot easier to get that when you're not in an office. Um, so we've figured out, I think, a better balance of like getting to get, you know, I spent uh, two days, two full days last week with people in person who just came uh, here to, to hang out with me. Um, yeah, we all obviously spent some time together in Austin. I think we're figuring out ways to like do that periodically. And that works really well. Um, like the kind of on again, off again pattern. It's good. And I, I wouldn't have designed it. I would never come up with that. It presumably it's opened up the talent pool then a lot, right? If you're looking for developers and you don't have to say, you know, 
you got to move to the Bay Area or San Francisco. Yeah. Um, no, actually, you can stay in, you know, Fishkill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, we were always like, we would like it, we would like you to move to the Bay Area, but like, if you're good and you can't, it's fine. So we always were open to that. Um, and can't was pretty bright, you know, like if you just really, really don't want to, or it's not feasible, whatever, we weren't like a completely, it wasn't a, a deal breaker. I don't think it, maybe it was for, I don't know. Uh, but, but I don't remember it being like the primary thing. So anyway, if there's someone out there for whom we were like, Oh, we can't deal with you literally. Maybe we did that once or twice. I don't think so. Um, yeah, the, the issues that like time zones are a real issue. That's the only thing that's tough. Um, I haven't figured that one out. We need like urban standard time or something like it's good to overlap. And it's also like, yeah, a lot of our audience is like in the U S and Europe, like there's some in Asia, you know? So obviously, yeah, like, you know, I'm waking you guys up early or whatever. Like it's just tough. Like that, that figuring out overlap is hard and then figuring out overlap between, you know, when we have people working on critical stuff, but then people in a completely different area of the world depend on, uh, how do you fix that? I'm not really sure. Uh, at the very least, you know, somebody did build a widget um, that allows you to tell what time yeah. zone urbic contacts are in. And I thought that was it's super great. cool. Yeah. Um, so that's like a first step. The um, But yeah, yeah I, I get it. I mean, it, we talked to Eric and he, he said that it was a pretty big part of the philosophy before to have people together. Um, and I, I'm sort of often it depends on the sort of work that you're doing um i i definitely found when i got back to the office uh that it was a huge learning curve to get back to being productive yeah. in that uh sort of like uh way and it's partly because you, you don't have the distractions around um you know so actually it's or you don't have to be as focused with like kids and stuff you don't have to force yourself to work and so it's like oh no i'm gonna like you know check espn or whatever um because i'm i'm here by myself in the office now so and you alluded or, or your to neighbor's it. your neighbor's house is burning down exactly right that it pop rocks <laughs> that was terrible the um uh so but you're uh an architect by yeah. training H how would corbusier design or <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm definitely an architect by training and not by trade. Um, uh, I build furniture for fun sometimes, but I don't uh, build buildings. Um, man, Corb's a funny guy. Uh, Corb wasn't really particularly, you know, Corb. Oh, he's taking you seriously. I'm trying to give Andy. you a serious. It's, it's I, too kind. I, it's of a you. serious question. It's a serious question. <laughs> I'm sure it was. <laughs> Well, the, the, I'm trying to get like the heart of the question is actually interesting, right? It's like, and it's or or I can draw something that interests me. So like, core is part of this like contingent of you know like modern architects or modernist architects um, who claimed to be really interested in um, like system like repeatable systems for housing, repeatable systems for buildings, um, but actually kind of like generally failed at uh, scaling their ideas up, you know? So, I mean, maybe the question is totally a joke, but like, I don't know if you're familiar with like the, uh, what's the Corbusian city? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, like Brasilia. the universal city. Oh, well, no, no, Brasilia is not Corp. Brasilia is like Oscar uh, Niemeyer or whatever. Right. 
I thought he was Maybe super out there. I, I don't know, but yeah, no, I I get um he he I mean he he was so interesting because obviously his uh, political inclinations were not communist, but that was where I think he had the most um success right in the soviet union and getting a lot of his ideas i mean here in china i think that basically they um adopted a lot of oh, it yeah. um understand that's, yeah. that's interesting um yeah hong kong has this like so, so the thing i'm thinking of is the is uh, the radiant city hmm. and the radiant city actually does actually almost look like hong kong <laughs> right in in many ways and especially like the new territories yeah um uh, but the thing is that Corb didn't build that shit, <laughs> you know, like he didn't actually literally build it. And there's a big difference between a building that was actually executed by Corb and, and, and a building that was executed by, you know, who knows who. Um, and there is a difference there. I, I, I don't honestly claim to know exactly what it is, but that's sort of like always been the thing that feels like the failure of those people is that they talked a big game about systems and about how we can sort of all live together, but they actually didn't execute on that, on that, on that scale. Um, so I guess I'm just saying like, you can't be a designer like that and work on a project like Urbit because it will ultimately just be this kind of like, um, it'll be like an idea and, 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 and not a, a thing that people actually use. Yeah. This is where you say you've got to be like a, a Christopher Alexander type architect instead of a Colossier. Type. I mean, Christopher Alexander is the same problem. That's, that's your guy, right? Yeah, I like. I I'm a yeah, I'm definitely a, like an Alexander fan. Um, I think he has kind of like the right way of thinking, but he also like, you know, uh, he's built some stuff, but it's like pretty. It's not a lot. Uh, there aren't that many Alexander buildings, and the thinking is very clear and very lucid, and it's worth reading. Um, but, you know, the hard part is actually like implementing it at a large scale. Um, it's it's a different thing. What uh, what furniture do you build? Oh, I mean, just about like tables, benches, some chairs, some shelves, some building furniture, like making things in wood. How much? Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I was going to ask how much a, a, like an original wolf poly goes for. I've never, you have to be like a family member. Uh, um, I built building stuff in wood is just like a good way to exercise your, like your brain. Like yep. it's building stuff is hard. Building stuff is very hard. Most people don't want to kind of like deal with the reality of the material, you know, like, like wood will on its own will teach you a lot. If you listen to it or whatever, you know, you can't just make things the way that you imagine them. You have to like negotiate with the material itself. And so, Making stuff, just like making physical things is a great way. I spend all day trying to make stuff like with in collaboration with all these other people, um, which is a lot of fun, but it's good to have like a microcosm of that activity. And that's like, that's what I love about. I mean, I'm also like still love to draw or make music, make furniture or whatever. You got to just like make, make stuff and, and, and come into conflict with like the thing you imagined is really is you know is is, is like this negotiation with whatever it is that you're that, that you're using no i i i have inflicted yeah. on most of the audience but i, I they, we have an unreleased episode which is a recording of me building a <laughs> uh, uh, radiator cover um before i was before go. i moved and <laughs> and the, the 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 joke is and i'm revealing this for the first time the picture that i put on the soundcloud for it is of a failed version, not the actual <laughs> one. Because like you said, I mean, like, you know, you screw stuff. This was my also my first time um, doing it. Uh, and so, you know, yeah. by, by the time I made like seven of them, 
because I didn't, I was running out my house. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with New England and steam heat. These things get really, really hot. I didn't want yeah. somebody's cat or a, a kid to get scalded by it. So I built like seven yeah. of these things. And by the time you're done with it, like you kind of have the system and then um, you don't, I don't yeah. ever want to build another one again. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but you're totally right. I mean, it's it, it, no no two pieces of wood are the same. Um, it's uh, but it it I find it very very therapeutic uh, as a practice and hobby. So that's that's cool. Yeah, it just clarifies your thinking. Like I mean, at least for me, like a lot of you know, Tuan is uh, I don't know thirty people, thirty three people, something like that. Like it's complicated to get people to work together. It's a lot of fun. Um, and, but you, you know, in order to do that, you have to have like a clear concept, of like what that we're actually making. And, um, and you, yeah, you, I think you have to have just like a very real or grounded understanding of what it's like to make things because that's what everybody, well, I don't, you know, write a lot of code. Like that's what most people are writing code or working on design stuff or they're making things. And so if you don't have some, you know, foot in the real world <laughs> in, in that discipline or whatever, then. Uh, it's kind of impossible to to you're just working at a distance. It's like doesn't make any sense at this point um when you go to um talk to somebody in the in the tech community in San Francisco, um whether on like a, the funding side or what, even kind of looking for talent, like have they heard of urbit or do do you have to like kind of how how actually known is it at this point yeah that's a good question it really varies um i mean urban is definitely still pretty unknown um i was thinking recently that like i don't think that you know urban really isn't crypto right like and that's uh you know it's kind of like a good and a bad thing um because we obviously overlap with crypto in certain ways maybe urban is kind of the perfect perfect complement to, to sort of like blockchain-based systems. Um, you know, Urbit completes the system of, of crypto idealism or something. Um, but I think that like for people to understand that, they do have to kind of like come to a very conventional understanding of like what, what Urbit is. They can't like force it into the box of like what a crypto project is. Like Urbit is not a crypto project in the at least 2021 conception of that. Which is to say that we don't like pump a shit coin and then get rich and do nothing. Um, if Just you kidding. do, please tell us in advance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sadly, we actually just try to make things that have real value to people and uh, measure It's like the worst thing you can do right now. The worst thing you can do right now. Don't worry. I can't. You know, it's, it's, it's ridiculous how many people have told me that, um, which is also sort of embarrassing uh, as in terms of its statement about the state of, I don't know, technology or the market or whatever. Um, I'd say I mean, Urban has definitely, like, I'm surprised by the people who do, like, there are, um, I had coffee yesterday with a, the CEO of one of the, it's like, I don't know how to anonymize this person um, correctly, but, you know, a, a sort of, like, hilariously large uh, technology and, and very well-known technology organization. It's kind of the backbone of what a lot of us do, who is you know, very familiar with what we do and very interested and, and also like super lucid and, and fat, fantastically interesting to talk to. Um, so I have experiences like that. And then I have experiences talking to people like in crypto, you've like kind of like been in crypto forever. And they're like, what do you do? And I'm just like, oh, whatever, man, like, it's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about Search it. Search on Hacker News. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I think it's just like we. Don't, I still don't think we've like hit exactly the right framing for those people, and or even necessarily. I don't know. I've kind of always said like I don't think that Urbit. I think Urbit's similar to um, many like coin like crypto projects. It's like. Yeah, the story is compelling to some extent. Like, sure, it feels good to control your computing. But until someone can, like, materialize that and actually, you know, easily get invited into something by a friend or use something and just kind of touch it super casually, obviously sort of L2 is a big part of that, and just, like, overall improving, like, onboarding and product experience, that's the story. The story is, like, use the thing. The story is not, like, a, like, rant, (laughs) you know, um, it's not it's not about believing some narrative it's like something that you can actually do yeah i had this i had this experience sort of regularly like someone on i i never get this someone on on um twitter will say something about urbit and then someone else will chime up and say you you mean that totally unusable piece of software <laughs> like the last time they checked it out was 3 years yeah. ago february of 20 yeah 2020 and I, I'll come, I'll come by, and I'll be like, "Have you? I mean, have you checked it out in the past couple of years?" Uh, no, I, I, it's it's impossible to get on, which means, you know, they haven't they haven't even done the diligence of like downloading port and booting up a comment. So yeah. I, I'm saying, even in my small little microcosm, I, I get I get this experience as well, which is that people don't just just jump on the network, just yeah. actually use the thing. I mean, it's gotten easier, See but it's it still gets it's can still get a lot easier and and i think you know the idea is that urbit right is kind of like a superconductor for like human connection or something right it's like it should just connect you to other people and other things really quickly so i think there's always like you know like what's the single player experience of using urbit so so maybe urbit could be a really great like personal knowledge management foundation right it could be a place where i keep my notes that last forever it could be a place that i keep my you know, sort of family photos or whatever, but we're not really working on that because it's not the, you know, it's not, I don't think it's the best first use case. Um, you know, parallel to that, Urbit is a great place for you to build a community that can last a long time, you can customize and so on and so forth. So ideally people like that, like I've always found it's like, yeah, you can boot it. You can kind of check, like, does this thing even work at all <laughs> by booting port? But the good experience you need to have is to be like invited into a group or invited into, you know, a conversation of some kind or whatever, invited to do something. And it's the fact of, the, you know, the quality of that thing that happens. Like, that's what really matters. Um, and I do think that, yeah, you see the groups that exist on the network, even just in terms of like the company and urban community or whatever, like those feel very, I don't think those groups would feel the same if they were on Discord or Slack or Telegram or whatever. Like they are different because they exist on Urban and the tenor of the thing is different. Um, and but that's very that's like a hard experience to give to people. Yeah, I think somebody made the comment in in a group the other day that people will will sort of get it when they realize that you can build elite communities and do things uh, in development without without DevOps that you can't really do anywhere else. These are kind of like a couple of the uh, a couple of the moats that that Urbit has. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of I always fixate on communities, but the truth is that we like we have you know sort of very real value proposition for communities. There's also definitely one for like the a developer who's just truly in a sort of whimsical, fun way wants to develop something and ship it to their friends without having to run a server. Um, and I do think that even then, you know, yeah, owning and running a star, or operating pieces of network infrastructure is also kind of like, 
you know, it's pretty hard to run a piece of like internet infrastructure. Um, it's a lot easier to run a piece of urban infrastructure. And so on all those fronts, actually like urban is, you know, has the, has like a good sort of user experience for each of those segments. And those people all sort of work together, right? It's like, you have like network operators, developers, and communities that like can actually self like support one another. It's basically like I think of it like it's Tuan's job to like make those experiences in each of those segments, you know, as as good as we possibly can. Well, I think like one uh, very positive and exciting thing is there's I, everybody looks at Urbit from their own background, experience, and their own needs, and I think they they see something that's pretty positive. I mean, so yeah, if you're a semi-autistic, you know, software engineer that wants to do things like you described, you'll do that. But I mean, you know, when I look at it, I see opportunities in financial, you know, financial markets or in sort of how you could use them for a large organization. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's nice in education and everything. So there, there's, there's a lot of opportunity, you know, obviously it's like Rashomon, you know, uh, or actually in the Grove is the story. But um you know, everybody can see something that they they really like in there. Um, if you had a, a blank check right now, just kind of thing as a CEO and capital allocator, um, you know, I don't know what a really meaningful sort of non-constraining amount of money would be, but would you be out there uh, buying technology or people or where where would you be investing? Oh, absolutely in people. Um, so... We, Talon is a company that I think is like, maybe it's even like 100%, maybe it's like 80%, maybe it's 100%, I don't know. It's an insanely high percentage of people who basically actually make things and who are compelled to make those things because they feel like they're kind of on some sort of spiritual quest to make urban a real thing so that their, you know, children and grandchildren can use it. That's amazing. Um, It's also leaves us a lot of room to grow because almost every single one of those people could have two to six people working for them um, and would probably vastly accelerate the the pace of their work. And then I think in turn, the quality of what we ship. Um, scaling that up is not easy. Um, and actually you can't do it overnight if you want to do it well. Uh, but that is the, I mean, Talon is definitely capital constrained. That's somewhat intentional. I think it's really important to be you know, um, if a company is a plant, you can sort of drown it with capital, you know, or you can you can you can dry it out. Um, I don't think we're really at the risk of like drying out, but we also could could be going a lot faster. Uh, and I think you see a lot of crypto companies that are just sort of drowning, drowning in capital. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that like we have a clear like the history Tuan for a long time, right, is like. On the one is a split-brained, you know, uh, thing. What's this, like a two-headed beast? There are two wolves inside of us, <laughs> whatever. Um, <clears throat> on the one hand, we're trying to build a platform, which is um, in, in, in a way a very like a, like active, pure software architecture. You're trying to design something that's really nice and it's really general purpose. And on the other hand, you're trying to build a product. Um, I think by assembly and by shipping software distribution, we're like, okay, the platform... It can be better, but it's it's going somewhere. And now we can start to really focus on product. And so when I look forward over the next, say, three, six, even like 10 years or so, and I can see the, you know, you know, you have an initial use case, which is like do group communication really, really well. Like what people use Discord for is not what Discord is for. And like the ability to build individual communities 
is something that also like Facebook isn't even really very good for and Urbit can be very good for. Okay, let's try to actually drive a wedge on that front. Plenty of capital to deploy there just in terms of like making us more efficient, more capable, like more focused. Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot that can be done in terms of like encouraging and building the tools for commerce over Urbit, like both for people to do business with one another, for people to manage their own assets, to be able to take like a syndicate of crypto investors, move them onto Urbit, let them visualize their assets, manage their investments, um, and sort of like manage their research or something along those lines. Uh, okay. We have a pretty clear idea of what that is. What's our biggest problem? Uh, we don't have a team that actually fully works on, you know, what is an Urbit wallet or how does Urbit integrate with signing transactions and sending them and so on. So I feel like now we kind of have this, like, we've accumulated a lot of clarity around, like, what, what can land, how can landscape evolve as a great product and become sort of more general purpose as this toolkit for people to um, basically, like, build crypto communities or crypto adjacent communities or just like maybe better communities in general. I think they sort of start as being crypto adjacent. Uh, but uh, the team as it exists is like, um, is fantastic, but can basically just be like scaled up. Um, I don't think there's anything that we, you know, there are other ways of, I mean, it's a truly blank check. Like there are ways that we can also, I think, improve the underlying like the infrastructure that we like run our hosting on um, and things like that. Uh, but, you know, like the best way to move Urbit forward, uh, I find, is to do it stepwise, like that you can't. Um, I think of like this one, it's a simple way to put it, it might be like a story that an advisor told me that I always really like, which is like, we're not in one office, but imagine we're in one room, you know, and someone kicks down the door and they're like, all right, three of you, you're joining, like, you're going on a special forces mission right now. Let's go. You're joining a team of 15. Okay, none of us die because because there are 15 other people there, there's enough knowledge transfer that like we can basically survive. You know, someone can hand us a gun and a kid and we can make it through the mission. However, someone kicks down the door and is like, all right, three of you and me, we're going on a mission. It's just the four of us. Okay, we all die. Like mostly not because there's only four of us, but because in order for us to learn how to do the things that we need to do to, to actually make it through whatever the mission is, like the knowledge transfer like just doesn't happen fast enough. And so I think that like that's the, it's not just that, you know, Tuan at present is capital constrained and probably should grow. But if it grows too quickly, we'd also basically make a lot of mistakes um, and probably the product quality would end up declining. And so you have to just, you know, hit that next milestone of what you know how to do transfer knowledge to a batch of new people that isn't too big, and then sort of repeat that process over and over again. Um, and I think that's how you actually end up building something really great. And if you try and sort of speed run that, uh, you'll, you know, in short, fuck it up. Okay, I got a, a slightly different question. I think that the sort of like average user doesn't see the role of the constitution, or maybe what I should say is they don't see the role of what the Senate is doing. And I, I just wanted to, to know, since we, we, we rarely ask about this, what, what is the um, role of the Senate now and, and what's it going to be for, uh, say, stars in the future? Uh, what's the role of planets going to be in the future? I mean, how do you see those things playing out? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, so for those who don't know... Uh, there are 256 galaxies. 
um, who are kind of like the super nodes of the network. Uh, each one issues 256 stars, making for a total of 65,000 stars. Each star issues 65,000 planets, making for a total of about 4 billion. These are, of course, 8-bit, 16-bit, um, 32-bit, or, you know, 2 to the 8th, 2 to the 16th, 2 to the 32nd. Uh, the idea behind this design, of course, is that um, building a decentralized network is hard. Uh, you can't have a single authenticating sort of entity, right? Who decides who gets to be on that network? Well, you need to distribute first. You need to distribute that the, you know, the authority to decide. So the idea is that sort of like, well, I can sell someone or give someone a galaxy, and then they get to decide who gets the stars, and then those stars get to decide who gets the planets, and so on. Uh, this is you know, towards the end of everybody who ends up with a planet or everybody who ends up with a, an address is a human um, because the hope being that both through the balance of that planet having some value and the person doing the authenticating caring about not, um, you know, selling to bots or spammers, uh, you'll, you'll more likely get that outcome. Uh, is it perfect? No, but it's, uh, it's a system and no system is perfect. Um, so then, of course, because we can see that no system is perfect, <laughs> we also acknowledge that that system may have to get upgraded. So the mechanism for upgrading that system is that a, a majority of the galaxies, a majority of those 256, can vote to upgrade the rules of, of that system. And that's very real, meaning we can basically move to a new set of contracts uh, that govern the distribution of address space. Um, <laughs> the goal is that no one cares about this <laughs> if a government is working uh, and working for the people that it serves, then it should be, you know, kind of a an invisible thing. Um, there, you know, the galaxies are increasingly engaged and thoughtful and thinking about how to both deploy address space as a resource and build things and thinking about what the future of the network is like. And these people all sort of talk to each other, although certainly not all of them. Um, because urban address space has value and, you know, some of these people are definitely like holding it as, as an asset, uh, there, many of them are, are passive and that's totally understandable. Um, how do I think it will evolve? The honest answer is I don't know. And I don't think you have to think about it that much. Um, it's easy. There are lots of ways you can speculate about it. Uh, but the whole point of it is that it will evolve in a way that makes the most sense for the people who are using the network. So sure, like there are ways in which stars um, could be given, could be granted more governance power. There are ways in which even planets could have, you know, you could have these kind of like complex voting mechanisms where planets vote to, you know, decide on things that their stars proxy in certain ways and so on. Uh, I look forward to seeing that stuff get invented sort of as it becomes necessary to invent it, I guess. Um, and I don't think that much about it. That's the, that's the truth. Josh, you asked people for questions. And one that came up a lot, and it was very um, controversial, was tofu. Oh, yeah. You, you like tofu? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but I don't, like, love tofu. I don't like, I have no strong... I think you gave people the impression that you love tofu and they, they wanted us to give you a hard time. <laughs> so I, I, and I actually, I don't mind this stuff, but some people take this very, very seriously. Um, well, you can tell those yeah, people some, that... Some people were offended. A lot of the... A lot they were of the concerned. Tofu, uh, they were in, concerned. In my, in my household is, is actually made from scratch uh, and the uh, quality of, of, of cooking around here 
is is pretty high. In fact, I probably I eat probably 80, 90 percent of everything I eat is grown on the property, not the soybeans, although those are actually I know the provenance of those and they're pretty good, too. So I don't know, man, people got people get fucking weird about this stuff. I, I my family owns a soy farm in the Midwest. So oh, really? I, I yes, oh, well. so, so I thank you for helping stabilize <laughs> those prices so I can continue getting a $200 check a month. Um, I, I have a, this is amazing because I also have a soy connection, which is that um, my father-in-law was a tofu salesman. Really? This is true. Here? Yeah, or, I'm not kidding. In, I'm not, in, no, my, my, my father-in-law is Chinese, so this makes more sense. I oh, think. okay, okay, got it. So everybody's trying yeah. to enlist us as some sort of like hatchet men, anti-soy hatchet men. <laughs> but in fact, like, you know, part, some part of our lives. We're, we're, we're fully embedded. Right, so with like, you know, big soy. So so you you have like a farming compound then or what? Like uh, how? No, I just grow? live on. Yeah. I don't. It's just a, I, I do live on a bit of land um, and we do uh, grow food here, but not in like a not in a serious like or industrial way, just for the family. What's the focus of, um, or what's Tuan's focus going to be after L two? So we, we, I assume that you're within striking range at least. But after that, what's the what's the very next thing to work on? Yeah, the next thing to work on is just so the vision. Let's see. We originally built landscape as really out of this like anger of we got to use this thing ourselves. What do we need? We need a way to kind of re-centralize our own communication. And in building this thing that is, you know, somewhat multi-purpose, I think we realized both that, you know, groups materializes a very real thing that happens on the Internet, which is that a group is often, you know, scattered across a bunch of different apps. Um, and that using something that is sort of like not an engagement machine um, feels really good. Um, and I think we also realized that you, that, that sort of like this multi-purpose, um, basically like urban as a computer needs to retain the same feeling that like an early desktop PC had where you could do a bunch of different things in one place and you being someone who is not necessarily technical. So obviously you can write software for Urbit, um, but an ordinary user in the sort of world of the internet in 2021 has very few options for kind of like casually, creatively pulling things together um, or, you know, using an operating system in, in, in the sense that, that it, it like in, in terms of what it meant maybe in the late eighties or early nineties or whatever. And so over the next couple of years, I think landscape can very much evolve to become that. So like a framework that anyone can ship an application to, that comes with a suite of very simple tools that are for that kind of handle the prototypical types of things that we do in web two, but allow you to then recombine them in the context of a group or in, in, in the context of doing some form of collaboration uh, in a much more sort of free and fluid way than you would find with any sort of platform or web two app. Um, that's a pretty broad goal. Uh, and I think the way that you step forward towards that goal is that you try to basically, you know, work directly with very, very real, um, very understandable groups of people who have very real needs, 
that are like adjacent to this like broader goal. So um, L2 lets us get people on the network more quickly. I think there are a good number of people, at least who I'm very much familiar with, who, yeah, whose communication is very much fragmented, um, whether it be across sort of like Discord, Signal, Telegram, whatever, uh, who, who care a lot about durability and permanence and control and for whom I think Urbit could be a great home. And so I think the early part of next year will be trying to get our onboarding to the point where you can bring people in and uh, like relatively easily. So like I can invite a friend, they can click on a link and they can actually either get hosted or get set up really quickly. And then also for that group to be able to just like be super, you know, like everything for, to be as much more uh, like reach another degree of, of, of sort of like, ease and usability um, and just like reliability. We've gotten a lot better than a year ago, but it still can get much better just in terms of like day-to-day -day life and landscape. Um, and so I, took, I guess like that's kind of, you know, starting with a very long-term vision, working all the way back to the present. But in terms of like what's going to happen in the beginning of next year, like, yeah, it's just like make group communication really good and make it easy for, you know, other people to onboard their friends into it and, you know, see sort of see how far we can get with this. I, th I think there's, I don't really see anything else occupying that space successfully because I think that group communication is almost just like not, it's, it's very much not suited to web two. Like there, there it's, it's almost always going to be at odds with the constraints of, of a centralized platform. Uh, we're going to go find out if that's true, I guess. Thank you for listening. If you want more of the stack, find us on Twitter at at symbol, the Orbis Ledger, T-H-E-O-R-B-I-S-L-E-D-G-E-R, or on the old garbage web at orbisledger.news. The best place to find us is on Urbit, where you can read Galen's tofu cooking tips or play the crowd favorite parlor game, Scrape the Cat Off Andy's Failed Radiator Cover. Until next time.